Hello everyone and welcome to the EVN Disrupt podcast. My name is Nijdet Zatryan. I'm the editor of the creative tech section here at EVN Report. This is our first podcast of 2023. Happy New Year. I want to thank you all for tuning in to our podcast last year. This year we'll continue to bring you episodes with founders, investors and other members of the Armenian startup ecosystem and tech sector. My guest today was Nayak Vartanyan. Nayak is the co-founder of the crowdfunding formula and the co-founder and CEO of prelaunch.com, a platform for evaluating startup ideas. We spoke about what metrics their platform uses to determine the likelihood of success of the product. Nayak also shared with us his advice on what founders should consider before picking a startup idea. Thank you for listening. Nayak Jan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Let's start with a little bit of your background. I know you have quite a career in product and and startups in general. How did you get started in the space? So, we've started with the agency with the crowdfunding formula. Actually, we started from the from a failure. We failed and then wrote a book. It became very popular and then we started to do some consulting. What was the failure? Uh the failure was uh, an application that me and my friend wanted to get funding for. And then we put that to crowdfunding platforms. Then realized that you know it, it doesn't any doesn't really work. Yeah. Uh, until we figured out that you know applications are not for crowdfunding, we failed miserably. Right. Uh, but we wrote a book about success, <laughs> uh, and the book succeeded. Uh, Specifically about crowdfunding success. Yes. Or? Yes. So we did some interviews on how people succeed there, and, and wrote a book about other success. So it became successful, and then it, this is how we ended there. Mm-hmm. And we started as a like as a consulting agency. Then we started to do some to do some management, and then while we were managing the campaigns, uh, we we quickly became popular and um, and we started to receive many products, uh, which we need to evaluate on uh, which products have bigger potential, which ones don't have that that much potential, and then this is how pre-launch came on because uh, we failed at that point to. Uh, evaluate correctly on the highest potential products and we tried everything and nothing really worked uh, so we need the way on were you guys evaluating the ideas as to whether or not they would be successful for a specific crowdfunding campaign not for crowdfunding campaign we, this is how we started uh, but now it it became something bigger and broader Uh, so at first that was our goal so mm-hmm. this is we, we need a way to uh, figure out an unbiased uh, validation technique right uh, and we found out that this is the reservation where people put down some one dollar or two dollar that you know that gives the the highest credibility and and then we uh, broadened it up uh, into pre-launch which is which is today which is much broader than crowdfunding it's, right and it's separate from the it's, crowdfunding it's separate yeah. yes so tell us about pre-launch uh, describe the product for us What is so pre-launch is a is a product validation platform which helps uh, consumer brands, consumer hardware brands, understand whether their creative concepts have uh, potential in the markets or not. And uh, what they do, they create these uh, simple pages, uh, describe their products, and see if people are ready to put down one or two dollars to get a significant discount when this product releases into the markets. Like a landing page. Like a landing page, yes. Um, And then we, with our proprietary analytics and dashboards and benchmarks, we, they can clearly see uh, what is not working mm-hmm. for them, uh, like what metrics are good, what metrics are bad, 
uh, what they need to improve. Yeah. Uh, and this is this is how they figure out if they need to continue working on that product, stop it, or, or maybe do something else. At what point do they come to you? Do they need to have an MVP or something ready to go? Or? Yes, they need to have an early early concept, uh, as we say, a prototype. So a bit earlier than a prototype. Right. So that's it needs to be something in between an, an idea and a, and a prototype, but needs to be viable enough or, or descriptive enough so people understand what is it what is the product it should should have design should yeah. have shape but it, it's not necessarily through that page the they're not necessarily gonna have users actually be using the product they're just trying to see if there's enough interest yes yes so you the users know that this product doesn't exist right. uh, and this is one of the you know t- like uh, transparent uh, validation techniques that that we use because mm-hmm. typically it's it's done in a fake way so they they would put it on the website and you would go assuming that that that's a product uh, and then you would figure out that the, uh, the product doesn't exist. Yeah. So on pre-launch you know that the product doesn't exist and you know that if you put down your you know small amount of money uh, you don't risk anything. So mm. if you change your mind the pre-launch will send send it to you back right. refund your refund your amounts. But this way you give very credible signals to creators so they understand should they move on with their right. products or not. Yeah. It kind of in a, in a way uses some parts of the crowdfunding model because with crowdfunding as well, oftentimes the product is not yet in production, hasn't been manufactured maybe. So you're just putting up money in the hopes of it will go to launch. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. So currently crowdfunding is the best way, I would say. And many enterprise companies, many big brands are using crowdfunding for validation. Right. But crowdfunding is not designed for validation. It's right. designed for fundraising and sometimes right. people are making even fun on these brands and, right. and it's, it has a lot of limitations actually. Right. So we are kind of taking this uh, idea and separating it from crowdfunding, making it like right. uh, specifically for validation. Right. Before it was kind of just a hack on the yes, crowdfunding yes, side. Exactly. You guys have productized it. So what are some of the key indicators you guys look you guys are monitoring and looking for when you put up the landing page? That that's a that's a very good question because uh, we tracked about thirty five metrics. Uh, sometimes people uh, look at very we say vanity metrics, metrics that didn't really matter. And sometimes they'll see who who is clicking to their ads and become very happy and then like put their house as a collateral, take the money yeah. and invest yeah. everything into the products, right. which doesn't actually mean that people are going to buy those products. So uh, we we track different metrics, like we we have the subscription rate that's that's the, for checking the people's interest, the, the reservation rate for checking like whether people are actually ready to. Yeah. Uh, buy the product. We have this score, which is called pre-launch score. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some scientists who are working on this on this score. It's a kind of combination of, of all these metrics to not complicate yeah. creators a lot. Uh, it's it's kind of condensed into into one simple metrics. But the overall idea is that there are so many metrics that you can clearly see what is not working for mm-hmm. your product. Like, is it the audience? Is it the positioning? Is it the interest? Is it the price? Yeah. Is it the color? And then with time, we figured out like what metrics stand for what. And then we use our uh, experience and benchmarks to guide creators to, so, so they understand what these metrics mean, right? What they should be focused yes, on. Yes, yeah. yes. Because so if you do it on your, on your own website, if it's really good or it's really bad, you'll know it. But mm-hmm. if it's in somewhere in between, and typically it's in 95% of the cases, you, you don't know what does that mean. Mm-hmm. I, is it good? Are you doing good or, or are you doing bad? So yeah. you need some benchmarks to guide you. How are the users finding the landing pages? Like, Does pre-launch have both sides of the market? Does it have people that are actively looking to 
take a look at these startup ideas or are they coming across them organically online through web searches and things of that nature? Both, both. So it's a, it says a marketplace where it has a, a really big or a, or a really big community. It's like four months old, but uh, we see about a couple of hundred thousand uh, visitors wow. a month uh, to, to the website. So we have a good organic traffic. We have a big newsletter, um, people finding it organically. Yeah. Um, but in in most of the cases, the community is coming through advertising. So whenever yeah. creators are creating these landing pages, they do advertising to test also the audiences, the niche right. markets, and bring traffic by themselves. And then Prelongy amplifies those traffic. I would say like it gives 30 to 25% more traffic than you would otherwise get. Yeah. How long have you guys been up now? About five months. And can you tell us how many uh, startup ideas have gone through pre-launch? Um, yeah, we, uh, we, we saw about uh, 1,500 registrations already to the platform. About 200 projects are live, uh, so you can go and like see some cool stuff yeah. there. What's the business model? Um, do, are the startups that are coming to you guys to help with the validation of the ideas um, paying like a subscription type model or is there a different? Yes, mm. now that's subscription uh, with a free, uh, free plan. So for frictionless onboarding, people can you know just yeah. just register, use it for free. Mm -hmm. We have an, we have some cool features like AI builder. They can try it out, see how it works, build their pages, get their first subscribers. Yeah. You know, use the insights, and then when they get used to it and get the value of it, they move to subscription. To the subscription model. Yeah. If you're looking at all the metrics that you're, that you're monitoring, is there anything you can do with like an 80-20 analysis? Is there 20% of the indicators that provide 80% of the results? Yes, yes. So there are some uh, more important metrics and some less important metrics. Can you share them? A and the, the most important metrics uh, are around this reservation rate. So um, basically, uh, like the baseline is that where people actually put money uh, and then you kind of elaborate uh, upon that, that's a really good uh, baseline mm -hmm. to drive some insights from. Um, and that's the reservation rate, the cost per reservation, and those are the metrics that clearly indicate uh, whether there's a demand or not right. out there. Right, yeah. and, and, and And on top of that, we, we build out some you know, uh, more comprehensive data right, sets. Yeah. Um, is there anything you've learned about the validation of startup ideas over these last five, six months that has surprised you? Something um, that you thought didn't matter, but apparently it does. Or Yeah, uh, both in terms of like, we're always surpri surprised with the products uh, that nobody's betting that they're going to, to be successful. Yeah. And then with the pre-launch, we see, you know, <laughs> yeah. like they're the opposite of everyone's uh, yeah. expectations and vice versa. Uh, we had some really successful brands which had success with their past uh, six, seven uh, products. And then the next product was not successful. Was and not then successful. nobody was expecting that, you yeah. know, the next one won't be successful. So it's always surprising. But with the with the data, yeah, we're, we are always uh, trying to find out some new uh, new data that, that uh, make sense. For example, yeah. um, we recently came up with this elasticity rate we're changing the $1 and, and increasing it to up to, I don't know, $10 or $50 to see how it will uh, impact the overall uh, mm -hmm. metrics. Yeah. So that's that's also something that's uh, helping. I think there's another book in the works here. Maybe yes. like after yes. a couple <laughs> of years. <laughs> yeah, for sure. How to evaluate <laughs> startup ideas. <laughs> Let's talk about what advice you can give to to founders in general. Like when there, a lot of people have business ideas, startup ideas. When they're even just thinking about it, they're not even ready to 
to build out a product or maybe they're not the person that will build it out. They have to go find a team. What are some, th- what are, what's some advice you give to, to people from everything you've learned on, on how to decide if an idea is worth pursuing? Yeah, so uh, depending on what stage they are, the, the advice can be different. But uh, most importantly, they need to validate the problem first. So the, this problem validation is, is the yeah. number one thing that they need to do. And after they are validating the problem with their consumers, and we call it your consumer advisory board. So you, you kind of get on board some consumers and uh, incentivize them, not monetary, but kind of incentivize them that you're going to solve their problems. So they invest in uh, invest yeah, their yeah. time in, in, into your idea and you start co-creating with them. Uh, that's that's basically the number one hack uh, mm-hmm. that that is out there uh, that people should do. So as soon as possible, go to their customers, see how clear and how apparent the problem is mm-hmm. out there, and try to co-create with them. No, don't try to do it in isolation. Right. In in software, it's pretty much that's that's the case. I would say this lean methodology is is a is a religion yeah. in software, but in especially in hardware, in in other industries, in fashion, it's not like that. It's still like in you know eighteenth uh, century. Yeah. So people are working in isolation, investing a lot of time, yeah. a lot of money, then bringing it to the markets and failing. Yeah. So th- this is what we want to mm. change. And Paul Graham has this famous essay from probably more than fifteen years ago now, where he talks about. Don't look for startup ideas. Look for problems that you can solve, um, and take a problem-centric approach as opposed to just some product that you're in love with the idea and you try to bring yeah. it to market. Yes, that, that's yeah. one of the most common biases in Armenia, especially. Yeah. Whereas people have this solution and then try to validate and try to come up a, uh, with a problem that fits into their solution. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they should very be, hard it should to do be vice versa. Yeah. Yes. So, in terms of going out and just uh, speaking to your potential customers when it's still even at the idea phase, um, what are some things that you should be you should be asking the the potential customers? How do you approach those conversations? Yeah, that's that that's that's a really good question because uh, the right questions will give you very right yeah. answers. So, one of the uh, questions we ask, by the way, we uh, send out surveys right away when they do reservations. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's the most ecstatic time where people are ready to tell you everything on yeah. why they did that. Yeah. Like one hour later, it's not working like that. So, you need to immediately get you know the insights. And the most interesting uh, answers come uh, from the question of why you reserved this product. Mm-hmm. And you openly ask them and, and you're receiving some insights on why people did that. Somebody wanted to buy it as a present. Somebody had this problem. Somebody, you know, uh, was suffering yeah. from something, etc. So first thing we ask is this, why you reserve this product? What was your motivation, basically? Uh, what kind of similar products you owned before? Mm-hmm. And and. Most of other questions are around their practical, are, are, are their past behavior rather than their, uh, you know, uh, future intentions or ideas. Yeah. So what they did, what they looked for, uh, where, what, what problems they suffered from, yeah. what kind of limitations they saw in their uh, existing current solutions. existing solutions, etc. So around that, we kind of form an understanding on, first of all, who their real customers are. Because that's that's really very important, and uh, people go and collect surveys from people who are not their customers, basically, and mm-hmm. then they they make important decisions based on that. But the baseline is wrong. Yeah. So in here, the baseline is right because people are giving you their money and are ready to uh, also give you their insights. Yeah. Right. 
So like you you also learn like who they are, or what they are doing. We're we're also doing this customer enrichment, so you can see yeah. like where they work, uh, what positions they occupy, and, yeah. and then you have this kind of complete picture uh, at early stages. Yeah, it's interesting. You were saying earlier how it it's often a big problem in Armenia where people won't go out and speak to their potential customer base at first or try to gain those insights. I remember the first podcast we did this year um, with Ashutar Zumanian. He said that uh, venture capitalist at Smartgate, he said something really interesting. He said one of the biggest cultural changes that has happened in Armenia in the entrepreneurship scene in the last five years is that people people learn to, uh, instead of just you know coding for 12 months and then showing the world what they did, they learn to first go and speak to the market and, and try to validate their idea a little bit before investing that much time into it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before people were not telling their ideas at yeah, all. Because they were scared uh, they, that it yeah, was Yeah, they were scared taken, that, right? you know, yeah. you, you're going to steal their idea <laughs> and you, right. you're going to do, do it. That's yeah. changing. Another thing that is also changing on top of that, and, and I can see it as, as a marketeer, yeah. people are starting to invest in marketing and sales. Hmm. So that's, that's also a, a kind of common um bias in armenia that they think that you know the products will work on their own yeah. uh, if they have a really good products but uh, they don't have anybody to work on the marketing and sales side yeah and that's that's pretty much typically people who work with the customers and then mm. bring customers bring the right customers so yeah, yeah yeah we see some positive signals as someone with a lot of experience in in marketing and, and sales um what's your take on developing sort of the the business side of the the startup ecosystem in armenia so i mean oftentimes people speak about how it's challenging to find sales and marketing talent in armenia whereas maybe it's easier to find engineering talent and they often go to places like america and, and the west for for finding that talent What's being done to to really develop and nurture that uh, that side of the ecosystem? So um, some of the successes of the current startups, I would say, uh, are spreading out, and yeah. people are asking what's working for you, what's not working, and and then when they see that you know sales and marketing are one of the critical elements of success, they also start to invest in uh, in there. They start to get advisors. They start to, you know, assign somebody uh, sales roles. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's typically one of the biggest challenges of uh, of startups because most of them are technical founders. Yeah. Uh, and not only technical founders, the whole team is technical. Right. So they right. need somebody to take care of that. Right. Yeah. But do you see maybe in the coming five years having more of that um, sales side and stuff being done in Armenia or will they still rely on the U.S.? And uh, no, for sure, because that's currently uh, is very demanded yeah. and, and I assume that the demand and supply will balance each other yeah. uh, after some time. But currently, it's it's one of the hot jobs in Armenia, like yeah. sales and marketing in, in uh, SaaS business, in software. A everybody needs that. All the startups that I know right. uh, pretty much need a marketing person. Right. Uh, so th it will create like from the demand side, it will like pull out yeah. some uh, experts, I yeah. hope. Right. Speaking of teams, um, what are some ways that founders can validate whether or not the problem that they've picked to focus on is something that they and their co-founders or their early team are fit to tackle? Are there sort of ways to, to evaluate that? So... Um, before starting, pretty much no. So yeah. you, you can have like, you know, the first surface uh, evaluation, uh, but uh, everything comes with the experience, come with the real, uh, when you face real challenges and yeah. you see how resilient uh, is the team uh, mm -hmm. with the problems. So 
one thing that that helps is to uh, just agree everything uh, from the beginning because sometimes we see some uh, problems with the co-founders where they split up, uh, where they yeah. they not they realize that somebody has some other priorities in a year or in two years, etc. Yeah. So the important advice in here would be to just agree uh, from the beginning everything how it goes. Like they can have the founder vesting options, etc. Now yeah. it's, it's pretty much organized in in, mm-hmm. in uh, Silicon Valley and Western countries. So de- depending on the on the areas, you need a different types of mindset. But in startups, it's always difficult. You need to have people who are ready for challenges yeah. uh, and take problems as challenges and are sometimes excited with the problems and, mm-hmm. and not vice versa. What about in terms of uh, expertise? Like, for instance, many SaaS businesses, is going out and just speaking to customers enough in that specific um in that specific industry, for instance, let's say you're building software for the service industry, but you're not from that world. How important is it to have someone from the service industry on your team? Or can all of that be uh, subsidized through just conversations with customers? Um, n- not all. Uh, having somebody in the team is uh, always very helpful. If you if you don't have that pleasure to, to yeah. have anybody like full-time working in the team, uh, you can form your customer advisory board. Mm-hmm. So you can have an advisors and you can find somebody who can advise you on a, like hourly basis, Yeah. right? So um, we typically advise to have one expert advisory board and then one customer advisory board. So to have like two pools of advisors, yeah. one who are experiencing currently the problem and are ready to pay you, yeah. and, and the others who have been there, felt that pain mm-hmm. uh, and have an expertise uh, yeah. in there. So that's that, that's kind of one of two, two mandatory things that will give you a lot of expertise mm-hmm. even if that person isn't like a, a founder or something yes yeah. yes yeah is team evaluation something that uh pre-launch does or could do or is that out of the scope of no that's more of a for tcf type of a thing okay. uh, of an agency that's so with, with agency thing. yeah with agencies we've been working with the you know with the founders with the products yeah that's that's where we kind of try to evaluate yeah. how long we would go yeah it's hard to turn personality traits and talent into metrics right yes yeah. yes <laughs> yeah moving a little bit away from from pre-launch i want to ask you about something that uh, you guys started at a uh, crowdfunding formula a few years ago which is uh, the conferences that you do every year the formula conferences mm-hmm. in the regions so i believe this year was your second one uh, last year you did in gogis and this year was in yagnazar so at the time when you did your first one when the first one in gogis last year I was uh, teaching Python and Kapan, and at the time there was very little like activity in Kapan related to like software engineering or even like remote jobs and stuff. At one point, one of my students approached me and said, "You know, you're te- you're here teaching us Python, but what are what exactly are we supposed to do with that?" And uh, after that, I moved to Gorgis for a short while, and in Gorgis, um, the environment was this was a few months after your conference. The environment was quite different and a lot of the young people I would speak to, especially around, there was an AUA opening up there and stuff. They would talk about how they learned about remote working opportunities through the Formula Gorgas conference. And there was even like little groups that were set up to learn like digital marketing and things of that nature. And the sort of the vibe was so different from my experience at Kapan. And I realized that, you know, we took for granted that we knew how to do things like finding jobs remotely and working online and things of that nature, and for the first time in Gorgis that had sort of been presented to the community. Um, and it felt like it w- it had a really tangible effect. Um, 
what is your primary goal with doing the conferences in the regions and how do you how do you find a way to make that impact more tangible and long lasting because it's easy for that to sort of slip up after a while right yeah uh so first of all that's that's really exciting to yeah. to hear that you know the, that that the impact was there so there there are a couple of goals in here um the first one is uh to to inform people about the opportunities that are out there uh in the world and the opportunities that they have themselves and mm-hmm. and, and people don't really realize that there are so many so many opportunities even in like in in various areas of of armenia uh, despite they are, uh, you know, working and living in Yerevan or not, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, to just inform them about the opportunities, to motivate them, bring some people who have uh, the real life experience, and and to show those people to them, so they see that these people are a real kind of, yeah. uh, are not from TV, yeah. uh, and uh, they're like normal people like themselves, right? So that's the second goal. The third goal is to form a network and relationships with these people. Because you know we're, we're trying to bring some expertise from Yerevan, from other areas uh, into into the regions, and trying to bond some relationships with the with the local population and experts, mm-hmm. uh, so they, they they can stay in touch. Uh, and and the fourth reason is to uh, is is one of the most important ones I would say is to entice curiosity mm-hmm. uh, around the young population, especially. Because in these conferences, you cannot earn, you cannot learn much. Uh, you you just learn uh, kind of the basics of, of everything, and we try to keep it diverse. And there's so much information, yeah. but just the one day, yeah. right? So uh, most important thing is this curiosity that will start that sparks, yeah. uh, that sparks after the conference. Yeah. And they'll they'll start to you know just go dig deeper, mm-hmm. try to get more information about this, about that, etc. Mm-hmm. And then we also kind of feel this uh, social responsibility as a company. Yeah. Like we're, uh, you know, we have become successful in this society and we need to give it give it back to the mm-hmm. society somehow. So we figured out that this, uh, you know, birthday celebrations uh, are, are the yeah. best way to kind of give back to the to the society and, and we want to make it a culture uh, mm-hmm. in Armenia and, and Thankfully, many other com- companies are also following up this yeah. pattern. Yeah, and uh, and I think if, if we make it a culture and all Armenian companies, all, all the successes, even not companies, even like individuals as mm-hmm. well, they, they have just one day in year where they'll share their knowledge, what they learned, what they do, uh, try to advise some uh, people who are interested into yeah. repeating their path. Uh, we'll have a really significant impact. Yeah. So that's that's the goal. Do you guys do any follow-up after you've hosted the conference in those cities? For instance, uh, in Gorgas or in Yagnazar, is there an opportunity to maybe do like mini talks and stuff in those cities to keep that interest and spark? Or? We do some... Uh, we do some stuff, but we're thinking of expanding it. So we have these specialized groups of of marketing, of of I know some specific PR, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. So we, we were holding these Telegram groups, and then we have some experts in there which kind of contribute with the with the materials, with the learnings, and try to keep the groups active. Nice. I think that's uh, super important because yeah, uh, it's very easy for that curiosity, as you put it, uh, to to die down if there's the next time something like that will happen in the city is five six years later, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely, and, and also as we're keeping it continuous and, and we're keeping making yeah. it a community, right? Uh, so all those people from Goris are coming to Yeregnadzor, oh, and, yeah. and then in the they'll 
like the 50% will come to the next conference. Right, right. And then the one of the success metrics that we see uh, is these uh, newly formed groups mm-hmm. uh, in the conferences. So we had a couple of success cases where like a group uh, where got acquainted with each other in, in Goris, like they didn't know each other and they, they form a s- small startups and they won the prize in Yelignadzor, which oh, nice. we were organizing this small grant yeah. for, for startups there and then they won it. And, uh, that's uh, fantastic. So that's, yeah. that's that's yeah, that's really cool to learn. Has the city been decided already for 2023? No, not yet. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. <laughs> but that's definitely will be like uh, outside city of uh, of regional regional city. Right. Not, yes. Not, not here, Of course. Yeah, yeah. In the regions. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, our our last question: What do you hope for the future of pre-launch in the next coming five to ten years? Where do you hope to see the company be? So we we hope to bring a new uh, culture, a new behavior uh, in consumer hardware and in in many other industries um, which are suffering from this late meeting to to their communities and mm-hmm. customers. We want to create a, a culture of co-creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to kind of flip it around the the, the current ways on on uh, how the e-commerce is operating. Mm-hmm. So and and we think that's beneficial for everybody. You need to go out, meet your customers as soon as possible, and evaluate your metrics, and from there on decide whether you should continue or not. Yeah. And then on a community side, it's also interesting. Like uh, as a as a consumer, as a as a community, you can. Just see uh, your favorite brands, see what they're working on, uh, join uh, join them in their products, and uh, give them a very credible signal. So right. they they understand whether they should they should you know do black color or white color. Yeah, Th- that will help uh, everybody become more successful and save them a lot of time. Okay. Yes, yeah. Yes. Jan, thank you so much for joining us today, and I I hope you'll come back and share with us what's going on with pre-launch Absolutely. in the future. Absolutely, thank you. Thank you.